Hello there, and welcome back to another episode of Thanks, Morris. I am Marie, the SLP, and today I am joined by my friend, Shannon. Shannon, who is an aspiring SLP, she's currently finishing up her graduate program in Vancouver, is also a fellow podcaster, and together we have been able to collaborate. I'm actually on one of her podcast episodes that just came out recently, so you should go find it and listen to us have a conversation about my role as a speech-language pathologist, but today we're talking about where she's at with graduate school, the changes that she's faced through the COVID-19 shutdowns of all the things, and then she's going to give you some tips for entering a grad program or applying to a grad program and for balancing your life throughout your grad school career. I'm so happy to have Shannon here, and uh, let's get to talking. Hello, and thank you for joining me this morning, Shannon. Hi. Um, today we're going to talk all about graduate school, and you're, you're our expert today on graduate school and all things. Um, so could you just tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and your, your program and um, how long you've been in the program and things like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I am from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. So I did my undergrad at UBC in speech sciences, and then I went straight into my master's program in speech language pathology also at UBC. So I started the program in 2018, and I was supposed to be completed <laughs> in about a week. Um, I was supposed to have my final placement, so I, I finished my coursework in April. And then when COVID hit, we had our last placement put on hold. So I, I just basically have one little placement to do and then, and then I'll be completed my program. And then you're out in the world. <laughs> and I do want to point out, I just learned this from Shannon, um, but she is in Canada. So in Canada, unlike in America or the United States, uh, we, we have CF placements in the United States. Um, for, so our first year after working it, or after grad school, we have a mentor or supervisor. In your situation, you do not. So you're just thrown out there. So that's something to keep in mind because it's totally different in a way. Um, yeah. 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 A lot of people don't know that we don't have a CF. Yeah. We might be moving towards that, but right now we're just released into the workforce. <laughs> Like, go fly, little birds. Fly. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's start at the beginning. So I've, I get a lot of questions um, about applications for grad school and what to, like, what can help you stand out because especially, and I don't know if it's the same for you or was the same for you when you applied, but I know in the United States, it's, it's pretty difficult or challenging, I should say, um, you know especially back back in the, the day, like five years ago when I was applying to grad school um, or six years ago, I don't even know. But, you know, we were told one in 20 applicants, kind of that's the ratio that's taken. I think it's gotten a teeny bit better out here, at least in California, because there's more clinical placements now. Um, but it was very stressful and very challenging. And uh I wish I had a podcast to listen to for tips on kind of what to do, maybe strategize um, when you're applying and you're a little bit, you've got a little bit of fresher knowledge than I do at this point. So I'm just curious if you have any tips for us um, or for uh, future SLPs who are looking to, to get into a program. 
Yes. So I love helping literally anyone and everyone with tips for applying just because that anxiety is so, it's still so fresh in my mind. (laughs) And just, yeah, I have a lot of sympathy for people who are feeling that stress of applying. Um, So my, some of these tips, I, I, my brother is a professor. So he's someone I went to when I was applying because I was like, oh, you write people letters of reference all the time. Like, do you have any tips for applying or all of that? Um, So two tips, just general tips that I got from him that I tell everyone is when you're, and this might be something a lot of people already know, but sometimes I'll tell people and they're like, oh, I didn't do that. I should do that next time, which is when you're asking for a letter of reference, make sure you ask for a strong letter of reference instead of just a letter of reference. So that basically ensures that they will write you a good letter because a lot of the times people are like, my marks were so good. I have all this experience. I don't know where it went wrong. And then they start thinking it might be their letter of reference. And it changes depending on the school, but I know you have to have quite a few letters. So it's de- I feel like that's definitely worth remembering when you email to ask, just ask for a strong <laughs> letter. Um, and then the other thing with letters is just, um, ask very early on. This is my tip. This is a tip that I actually got from an SLP student when I was in my undergrad. I heard, I, I don't remember where we were talking, but she was like, Oh, ask early on because these profs get so many requests that if you ask like too late, basically she advised, I asked like six months in advance or even more like a year in advance because they will just have too many letters because they get so many letter requests. So yeah, those are my two tips on letters. Um, Yeah. And then one thing that I just tell everyone is we're moving towards people want well-rounded applicants and people who have good marks and that they have volunteer and they have work experience and they have all of those areas and and that's really encouraged so I always just tell people instead of trying to make yourself seem like a well-rounded applicant just be a well-rounded applicant and just try to actually engage in a lot of different things and just I feel like undergrad's a good time to just say yes to a lot of different things and different volunteer experiences and just get that experience so you really do feel like you do have a lot to offer whether it comes in an interview or in your application, you'll just have a lot more um, experiences to draw from. And then when you're writing about your experiences, like in your application letters, people sometimes feel like, oh, I I don't have a really meaningful experience to talk about, or I don't have, I don't know what to discuss or what to share this. And they start thinking about uh, what other people are writing about and other people have these really amazing stories. And I feel one piece of advice I got from someone was to just have your blinders on. Like if you're as if you're in a horse race and you can't see, that's why horses have the blinders on in horse races because they'll run faster because they can't see what's going on beside them. And I think that's such good advice. Like just focus on your authentic experience. You have so much to offer and just really focus on what you've done and how you can kind of share that with everyone. And I think that, yeah, just being authentic is, huge. So 
Those are my general, general tips for applying that I always tell people. <laughs> no, and I think those are great. Like, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of think about like this long list of things, but for, especially for an applicant trying to get into a grad program, that's, it's already an overwhelming situation. So to just have like those like really meaningful, um, you know, tips, I think is perfect. And I love what you said about, um, first of all, the strong letters of rec. I love that that's added in there because, um, and I, I want to, I want to use this, like that thought process, even if I were to apply for a new job, because, um, it's all about, you know, the semantics, right? It's, you don't want somebody just to say like, oh yeah, they worked with me, you know? Um, and I observed them. I, I have to shout out, um, one of my undergrad supervisors when I was doing my hours, he wrote such a great letter of recommendation. And I didn't know to ask for a strong letter of recommendation, but he knew what it was like to go to, to apply because he was a speech language or he is a speech language pathologist. And, you know, I couldn't ever thank him enough because his letter I know was super helpful because he saw me applying it. And like you said, it's also important to have those experiences. Um, and experience can be the best teacher. And when, the, you know, the, whoever is deciding what, when to let an applicant in, when they see that you're willing to try things and to try and learn new things, I mean, they're going to be, I think, a lot more open to that student because that student is teachable. Um, that mm -hmm. clinician is teachable. So I think those are great tips. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like one more thing is just kind of like, take what you can get. Like, I remember I wanted to do peds and that's what I wanted to focus on. And I ended up getting like, it's hard sometimes to find volunteer position. So I got one in, um, stroke recovery. And I remember thinking like, Oh, I just want to work with preschoolers. Like that's where I want my experience to be coming from. But then I had such a positive experience working with adults and I really liked it. So I feel like in undergrad, it's just kind of, it's, it's okay to, try everything out and, and don't, maybe you're going to change your mind. Like maybe if you think you want to work with adults, maybe you'll end up wanting to work with kids. So don't like necessarily close the door. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh. I wanted to work in when, cause they, we had an opportunity in my undergrad program to be um, a clinician's assistant or we, you know, that was like our final year we had to, to do that our final semester. And I really wanted autism clinic. That's why I originally, you know, got in the field. I wanted to work, um, with individuals with autism. And I was like, I put that like in big letters, you know, this is what I want. And I didn't put fluency anywhere. I didn't want, I didn't know, like I wasn't comfortable with it at that point. Um, that's what I got. I got fluency, <laughs> but I, you know, you still, like you said, you just have to be open to, to it. You can't, I mean, imagine like if I had gone into one of the professors and said, I don't, I don't feel comfortable with this. I mean, they'd probably be like, okay, well, don't ask us for a letter of recommendation because, you know, you think about, I think about now after three years of working in the field, I don't get to choose, especially in the schools, you don't choose what comes your way. It's, these kiddos are added to my caseload with whatever their eligibility is and whatever goals that they need. Um, and it's, you have, you know, it's good to be trying these things and open to them because that's going to be the real world. Mm -hmm. um, and there are, Yeah. Uh, sorry, our clinical no. coordinators, they always say, um, if there's any time that we say, oh, we don't want that or we don't feel comfortable in that, then they'll say, okay, more reason to put you in that, yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> which is kind of what you're saying. It's like, if I don't feel comfortable in fluency, then 
if I say that to anyone, I know that they'll end up getting a fluency placement because they're, they're like, okay, that's exactly where we should put you because you'll probably grow the most there Yep, outside your comfort zone. So, yeah. And I totally did. I mean, I wanted to work with children with autism. I got placed in fluency clinic and had an adult client. Um, so, and it worked beautifully because I think that also showed, you know, the people that ended up my super, my professors and my supervisors that helped write those letters of recommendation for me to get into grad school. It showed them that I could apply whatever I needed to in any clinical setting. And, um, yeah, so Mm -hmm. no, such great tips. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. Another thing that, uh, I wanted to ask you, so once you get into the program, that's another, then it's a whole other beast um, because I remember my first day of the program sitting in a, in a class um, and the teacher was, the professor was saying, okay, so you guys are going to have to work on uh, time management. You're going to have to learn what kind of a learner you are and all of these things. Um, and then she started talking about exams and they went right into talking about our final, you know, oral comprehensive exam that would be two years later. And I was like, okay, you're, you're giving me so much information. And I know for me wanting to do well, um, and this is before I learned that doing well also meant being a great clinician and applying the information. I remember just sitting there like, how am I going to study for all this? <laughs> and so I wanted to ask you maybe just to give kind of an outline of some study tips that you have that can be in a future grad student's mind already so they feel at ease when they're basically told about all these exams that they're going to have so then they can kind of put their time elsewhere too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so first of all, I just want to really preface this entire question by or answer by saying full transparency, my my first week of grad school, I cried probably five times. <laughs> and I remember after the first day, I came home, FaceTime my mom, burst out crying. And I was like, because we got our schedule and the schedule was crazy. We had so many assignments. I actually couldn't believe it. And I was like, and the readings were just there was just so many readings. So I remember like coming home, calling my mom and just bursting into tears. And I was like, I can't do this. I regret this. This was a horrible decision. And I was so, so stressed. And she was like, you're going to be fine. Just one foot in front of the other. It's all going to be okay. So I just want to say to anyone who's starting off that first month, even the first week, it's going to feel so hard and it will be okay. Like it actually will be okay. I wish I had someone who had gone through this, just be like, it's going to be fine. It might feel like the end of the world, but you will survive. It will be okay. <laughs> Before I like dive into all these study tips. No, I, I think, I, sorry. I think that that's actually a really good way to preface it because yeah, study tips are great. Um, but I had the same experience in that first week or maybe even sometime within the first month. I remember sitting on my bedroom floor with notes and books on my lap. Like I was sitting on the floor cross, uh, you know, crisscross applesauce and just started bawling my eyes out. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, this is before I was very in tune with what I needed to do to keep my mental health and mental sanity, I was just overwhelmed. And I think uh, 
it's it's fair to to tell that and for people to know that because it can be overwhelming so um it's gonna be okay like you said it it obviously we we got through it yeah we got through so yeah I, yeah that's just something i think everyone needs to know before they before they dive into their first year but so okay and then the other thing that i kind of want to say as a general um i don't know it's not a study tip necessarily but it has to do with studying is Recently, I, I did a podcast with Kate Van Buren. So she's on Instagram. I think her name is Catherine Beebe. Um, I don't quite remember, but she is a life coach in an SLP and she talks all about burnout. And she we had a discussion about how a lot of the reason why your master's program can feel so, so overwhelming and stressful is because in our undergrad, as you mentioned before, it's a very competitive program to get into. We have to do so much. We have to have high marks. We have to have really good relationships with our professors. We have to, we have to have all of these things. And it's like, everything has to be perfect. And it's so much pressure. And then we just kind of get in and, and just start a master's program. And it's, and it's hard to let go of those feelings of, I have to be perfect. I have to have a 4.0. I have to, it's hard to let that go. So I think I would encourage people to just try and remind yourself or like have a mantra that's just like, I don't have to have a 4.0. I don't need a 4.0. I I will just try my best and my best is good enough because you don't need, unless you're planning on applying to another program, a lot of people aren't. So you really don't need to have those really high marks. So So just try your best to kind of let go of that perfectionist ideal for your, for your GPA. Um, yeah, that's so then, so those are, I wanted to (laughs) preface with those two things. Um, yeah. Okay. So for more tangible tips, I have a lot of tangible study tips, um, that I've just learned throughout the years. I, I think one is just sleep, (laughs) just never sacrifice sleep for studying. That's my, I can't recommend that enough. Yeah. (laughs) Well said. (laughs) Make sure you're getting enough sleep. Some people in my program, my closest friend still does all nighters. And it's like, you need your sleep. If you have a big exam or if you're prepping for something in your clinical placement, get enough sleep. That's so important. You that just you need to be able to relax and recharge and you're not going to be able to do your best when you're sleep deprived. So my other thing is there's so many assignments in grad school and there's just so what I, one of the things I found challenging was it wasn't even the, the work itself. It was the amount of work. So start early. And I think that's more important than like, that is more important in your program than in, or your master's program than an undergrad, because an undergrad, you just had, I think, less assignments, it seemed like. But there's so many assignments and projects, at least in my program, that it's so worth it to just start early, have a schedule, start earlier than you'd think, and just try to have it all laid out and organized so you know exactly what's coming up, you know you gave yourself enough time, because I think the biggest thing that gives us anxiety is when either we forgot about something and we're caught off guard or we feel really rushed and that feeling of being rushed is just really stressful. So, so really scheduling it out and starting early, it seems so simple, but it can make a huge difference. 
on your anxiety levels. And then for like actual studying. So if you're studying for exams, a few things that work for me, there's three things that work really well for me. <laughs> One is I, I do time blocking. Are you familiar with time blocking? Um, I will have you explain it because I think I know, but I could or be wrong. Maybe it's like time batching or time blocking. Time batching sounds more familiar to me. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if anyone's familiar with the blogger or the skinny confidential, but she is like kind of a lifestyle blogger and she shares a lot of just tips and tricks that she does in her daily life. She's an entrepreneur and so she has a busy schedule. And one of her tips that I learned is time batching. Basically, it's when you, so there's, there's kind of two ways you can time batch. You can either time batch where you put, if you have a, if you have a few hours, you could just do a full few hours of therapy preparation or a full few hours. So you kind of, instead of doing five minutes therapy prep, five minutes emails, five minutes, it's like, no, you batch the whole time. So it's like that full amount of time is dedicated to therapy prep. And then your next three hours is fully dedicated to your assignment that you have due. So you're not jumping around. It's really, you're just like completely batching a time and then you can really just hone in on that. And then with that, the time, I think it's time blocking, she says, is when you basically, um, you just have a timer on your desk and you're essentially just timing yourself. So you, if you're studying what I do, I kind of made it my own. I'll just put a timer on for 30 minutes. And as soon as that timer is on, I don't look at my phone. I just, I completely focus on studying. And then when that 30 minute timer goes off, then I'll put a five minute timer on and I'll like get up, get a cup of tea, come back and just like move around. And that little timer thing has made such a big difference for me. I, I'm, I have a hard time just sitting and focusing for hours on end, especially like the more school you do, I feel like the harder it is to study. <laughs> so yeah. yeah that timer thing can really help. And then, um, one thing, the last thing I'm going to mention, um, is just knowing the difference between when you should be studying in a group and when you should be studying alone. I think our program is very like group, group, group. Like it's, you get so close to your cohort. So you always want to be with them, but I don't study with anyone in my cohort because study for exams, I should say, because I'm going to get to when you should be in a group. But I think like, just know yourself. If you, if you memorize better alone, just make sure you study alone because that'll decrease anxiety in the long run because there's nothing worse than when you're in a group studying and you're just starting to feel so anxious. Like I don't know as much as them, or I, I couldn't think of the answer fast enough because someone else said the answer, or I can't focus. There's too many people talking. So just, I think knowing what, where you thrive the best. But then in some instances, like assignments, I always do my assignments in groups, even if they're individual, because that can be so helpful. It's collaborative. You can talk through them. So I think just like knowing the difference, because in undergrad, I would get confused a lot about like if I should be studying in a group or studying alone. And it always felt like people were studying in groups. And I would almost have like group study FOMO where I'm like, I want to study in a group, <laughs> even though I didn't I didn't study well. So just knowing yourself and, and it's just, it's okay to study alone. It's okay. If you're, if you're in your room studying alone, it can often be very relaxing and more productive. That was probably a lot. No, I think, but I think it was so good. And that I love, um, 
I love the group versus studying alone. Um, I also like the time blocking. I think that's going to, that might be really helpful for me right now <laughs> um, because I'm on, I'm on summer break technically, but uh, I have a lot I'm doing with the podcast and blogging and stuff. And so I find myself doing this like, okay, let me quickly write my thought here for five minutes on the blog. And then, oh, wait, I got to go schedule this. And the, and without like having that kind of time. So I'm going to use that tip in life. Um but the group, the group versus studying alone thing, I remember studying for our oral comprehensive exams, which in my program, um, and when I tell people this, they're like, you had to do that? And I'm like, yeah, it was, it was, but it was really, I, I would choose it again if I had a choice. Um, but the way it was, was like a year and a half before graduation, before the comp exams actually were, we were given six big questions and they were in, you know, the, um, I'm going to get the number wrong, but that top nine, like the nine different areas or maybe top six. I'm not sure. Okay. never mind. But there's like, it's where you're like, um, there's voice fluency, articulation, pragmatics or social skill. Like there's just all these different things. And so those questions kind of covered that. So there was like a bilingual question and there was, um, you know, a question on uh, literacy and just, Oh, these really complex things. And so um, they did encourage us, you know, studying groups, but also again, study by yourself. And I had a great, great study group. There were like between six to seven of us that would study together. And then some people kind of flopped between two groups um, to get all those perspectives, which was great. But uh, I learned pretty early on that I would get super overwhelmed and it's part part my character. I, I do need that time to be by myself. Um, because like you said, I would get in these mo like moments of like, wait, I didn't find that information. He found like, oh my gosh, am I doing something wrong? Am I looking in the wrong place? And all this stuff. And it, it would be pretty, um, pretty stressful. And I think it took away from me actually being open to learning from a new perspective. So I definitely would recommend just trusting yourself. And if you feel like you need to cancel on the group and let them study, um, that's okay. They're really, the thing about my cohort, and I think a lot of speech pathologists um, or speech pathologists to be out there, we're all fairly altruistic. And so if you skip out on a study group one day, I guarantee you, if you ask what was what they discussed um, and you bring what you you studied to the table, I think you'll still um, be able to get some new information, but it feels better when you can take that time to yourself. Um, and like you said, it is, it is relaxing because you're kind of on your own schedule and you don't have five other people kind of telling different things to get overwhelming. So mm -hmm. no, yeah. that's great. Yes. Um, and so, you know, like we were, like we've talked about, exams aren't the only thing in grad school. Um, there are, uh, and now every grad program is different. So when you look at um, applying all the information you're learning, you might, like in my grad program, we had clinical placements. Um, we had an on-site clinic where, like an outpatient type of clinic, which was really awesome, but there weren't enough clients sometimes for us to... Uh, service. So some of us got thrown into the field a little bit earlier. I was one of those people who was thrown into, I got placed um, 
I, I did do on-site clinics my first year. I think they pretty much keep, they try to keep the first years on-site as best they can. But the second year, I was one of the first to get thrown into the schools um, a semester early, which was fine. Um, so I got placed at a couple different sites where I was working with school-age kids. I was working with, um, at one of our, it's the California uh, School for the Deaf, which was re a really awesome experience. But that was stressful because I was on site being kind of not handheld, but definitely in a bubble um, for one placement one year and then just like thrown into the real world the next year. And so, um, you know, I remember going into grad school, not really understanding the whole clinical placement thing. Like my first, you know, it wasn't until the end of my last year of undergrad when I was applying that I was like, oh, there's going to be actual clinical placements in grad school. So, um, you know, for the, for the ones where that might be something that's a little bit more uh, intimidating, I was wondering what your tips would be um, going into those and kind of giving us a little bit of confidence in knowing that those two are going to be awesome because they were. Those are my favorite part about grad school in the end. Um, but yeah. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. It was my favorite part too. <laughs> I, it, <laughs> the coursework can just become so monotonous. And, and like I said before, you kind of get over school. It just gets tiring. So I, I, my placements were a complete highlight. Um, I was just so, I loved it. I was so excited. And even when they were challenging or stressful, I, it still was so much better than sitting in class for me. Um, two things that I want to kind of, once again, preface this with, um, because I really don't want to give anyone more anxiety or stress <laughs> is, um, one, you might hear horror stories from second years or from clinical coordinators, or I remember there were a lot of kind of scare tactics from other people. I don't know if they're scare tactics, but they would just be like, oh my gosh, I had a placement where this happened. And yeah. it's like, wow, that's so crazy. <laughs> They're trying, I think, I think it came from, I, we had that too. And I, I almost, you know, I learned to avoid the second years. I loved them all dearly, but they, I would be like, oh, they're going to tell me some warning thing about a, a client. Like I better walk away. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. So I would just say, um, yeah, either avoid them or <laughs> like you did, or just take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. I, those stories gave me so much anxiety and that is the minority. Those aren't, that's not common. Those crazy, crazy stories you'll hear from people. That's, it's not, that's not for the general, like, that's not how we're all going to have our clinical experiences. That's not that common. Okay. So first of all, just don't worry about those stories. And then the other thing is just remember that the SLP who's taking you on wants to take a student. They First of all, like, as you mentioned, SLPs are inherently altruistic, empathetic. Like, we are all inherently more like that. That's what drew, like, drew us to this field. So just remember that not only are they an SLP, <laughs> SLPs are usually very understanding and good communicators, but also they, they literally wanted to take a student on. So they want to teach. They want to give back. They want to help. So just remind yourself of that when you're getting anxious about, we call them clinical educators. Do you, what do you call them in the States? Uh, supervisors. Supervisors. Yeah. That's a clinical supervisor. Yeah. Basically. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. So, so with that being said, um, I have a few tips. One is just try and always have a positive attitude. I think that you're not expected to know everything. If it's your first clinical placement, you're really not, no one's going to have very high expectations for what you are supposed to know or how you should act or, but I think that if you can just bring a positive attitude and a smile on your face and just be kind of a positive addition to the clinic that you're in, that's huge. Clinics can already be, there's, there's a lot of things happening. It's busy. Sometimes parents are feeling emotional. There's a lot going on. So if you can just be positive, I think that's huge. So just, and that's something that you can, you can control to a certain extent. And I like to focus on what you can control because there's yeah. so much that you can't control. Um, and then always just try to be prepared and be one step ahead. This is huge. I feel like we, so Marie came on my podcast and we kind of talked about how she, she calls activities, adaptable activities, <laughs> then they're always ready to be changed or modified to, and I think that's so great for students to hear because a lot of the time you'll go in and you'll have your one specific activity and you have this one way it's going to go. And it almost always never goes like exactly how you think it's going to go. So I would just say, try to have an activity that's adaptable and that you can change and just be prepared. Know that kids are always, if it's kids, at least like they're always going to be, you can't rely on them to sit and do this one activity exactly how you want it, which makes this job so much fun. That's what I like. It's exciting. It's fun to work with little kids, but yeah. So I would just try to be prepared be one step ahead, have your, have your activities prepped and ready and just try to um, be efficient with that. Cause that's something you can also try. You can be prepared and you can show your clinical educator, like I am prepared. I, I have this, at least have a thought process of how you would do things or it shows that you're ready and that you're thinking about these things. And then um, one thing that I always hear from people is they will say like, I didn't get any feedback. I, I don't know if it was good or if it was bad I, I don't know like if my session went well, I, I know, and I hear that all the time and I just always ask for feedback <laughs> because we, you, you're there to learn. So it's totally okay to just be like, um, how did that go? If, and try to do it when they're not like your clinical educator, your supervisor isn't so busy running around, but maybe at the end of the day, when there's a few minutes, you could, you could try to talk to them because I don't know if that's something you've experienced, but I've heard a lot of that from my classmates where they'll be like, I didn't get any feedback. And then they don't know what to do better or where they're at. Yeah. Mm. No, I, I, I had that happen um, during my hospital uh, placement. And then I would, I would have it happen every once in a while, like in my school placements or um, my, like I said, I had the on-site clinic and pretty much every time uh, in those situations, we did get feedback because we were being recorded and watched. Like, so the the supervisors and the assistants had to like actually do a write up on us after every session. So that was a little bit different. But there would be even situations there where you're like, well, wait, but that one thing I did though that you told me to do, do you have any feedback for that? Um, but I definitely my hospital placement. I think that was my most uh, intimidating placement because that wasn't where I felt the most comfortable. That's all it was. Uh, but that supervisor, there would be moments where she'd just be like, okay, on to the next. And I would be like, 
oh, um, I didn't feel good about that. Was that okay? Like, you know, and um, yeah, I think asking is just a huge, just a huge skill to have. And uh, definitely, even in those situations where you're working with a supervisor who may have been an SLP that has been in the field for 25 years, and you're, you're a little bit nervous to ask because they might uh, seem a little more knowledgeable about things. Um, you should ask for for that feedback for sure because it only helps you get better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also. It's funny you say that about your hospital placement because my hospital placement is the one where I got the least feedback, and it was also the one where I felt the most uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it is hard because I find hospitals the pace is very fast they're moving around and, and there isn't a lot of debrief time. So yeah, I, I, yeah, the hospital placements can be very, very busy. Um, but just trying any, like at any appropriate time during the day, just, just be like, and even if you, like you said, if you have a specific question, like, Oh, how was this? Instead of like a broad, like, can I have general feedback on everything ever? You know, I think that can be really helpful. Yeah. And then, yeah. Um, so the last thing I'm going to say is, things will go wrong (laughs) and it's okay. Just (laughs) have a quick bounce back. I don't know if anyone's familiar with Gabby Bernstein, but she is basically a life coach and she's kind of popular online. She's an author and she talks a lot about bounce back in various things in life. So if you had a challenging conversation with someone, what's your bounce back rate? And I think that that's, it can be taken with like our clinical placements too. If something went wrong or you did something that was maybe and maybe inappropriate or incorrect, just what's your bounce back? Just try to, that happened. And now just try your best to take a deep breath and just, it's okay. You made a mistake. Everyone makes mistakes. Um, yeah, I had to remind myself that a lot, especially in your like in your very first placement, you'll do a lot of things that just aren't right, <laughs> or you'll say something weird, or something weird will happen, and you're like, oh, like, why did I just do that? And just try to just be able to bounce back quickly. Yeah, because those moments they're gonna still happen even three years later. Let me tell you. <laughs> so when you when you have like okay, so something that I've learned, I think. I started learning this in grad school, but it is that idea of making mistakes and bouncing back. I definitely started learning this in my autism clinic, my uh, teacher and supervisor for that clinic, amazing woman. And she is like my guru for all things, um, you know, child-directed therapy, making mistakes, being a crazy clinician, you know, because I'm very, when I'm in there, I'm like making all the noises and doing all the facial expressions and it all, it's because of her, but she started teaching us to, to uh, kind of embrace those mistake moments. Um, and again, she told us it's going to happen all through <laughs> your career. <laughs> and something I've learned now in the last two years of being a preschool speech therapist is that skill of being able to bounce back and learn from my mistakes. It's, it's so fun. Um, I think that now like I'll be in a in a session and I'll do something weird or maybe wrong like oh my gosh like who does who does this with you know I I totally just did something I would never do with an apraxic kiddo but I did it and oops but you have to learn to just like laugh and then move on and and do better um and so I just I just 
find those moments super funny now. Yeah. It's like, it's like, just do not, whatever you do, do not take yourself too seriously. (laughs) Yes. It's not, you know, and like you were saying, I think when you're in that position, especially when you're in clinical placements and you're being watched in a, in a sense, it can be really easy to be so worried about doing the right thing. But in our field and in a lot of fields, things aren't, you know, there's no one like right thing. Things aren't always um, maybe the way they're stated in an article or on paper, like clinical sessions, whether you're working with adults or kids, they change in the snap of, you know, your fingers. So I just think that you just have to be ready for that and be ready to laugh at yourself for, you know, doing something you probably wouldn't do the next time, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, but those are all, I think those are all great things. And those are things that like, I feel like everything you've gone over, they're just good life skills. And, and I think, you know, when you look at, when I look at grad school and I, I don't know if you could say the same, but I feel like. Grad school, yeah, there's a lot of like clinical application stuff and um, the exams and all these like uh, really tedious things to remember when you're studying anatomy and physiology and all that. But I loved my grad program too because it just, there were so much like life skills that I learned in it. Um, and, and I have another podcast where I talk all about that. But um, I think that everything you've outlined is, is applicable to both. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. thank you for that. Um, and then looking at, you know, grad school as a whole and thinking about um, kind of the mindfulness that should go into it and our kind of being aware of our own mental health. Do you have any like general tips for us um, in terms of kind of thinking about those things? Mm-hmm. Yes. So, One of the biggest things is, I think, having balance. That's so important. I feel it can be really, especially going from undergrad, like I mentioned before, the busyness of undergrad, the the trying to be perfect, have a 4.0 undergrad. It's just very, like, a very busy time, and it's very SLP, 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 but when you're moving into your, even, even if anyone in undergrad is listening to this still balance is huge, but even more so in your master's program, because it's like, you are on the road. Like now it's fine. Like you made it this far. I just think having balance is so important. So when I say balance, it just means having a life outside of speech language pathology, having hobbies, having having something to do that makes you feel relaxed after a long day at either your clinical placement or at from being in class all day. Like even if it's a TV show or you have something to look forward to, that's maybe a weekend trip somewhere or going, I love going like hiking or spending time outside, exercising, even cooking. If you're feeling really busy, just trying to make the little things more enjoyable and more just having more balance so you're not always just steady 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 because that's just that is just going to lead you to the road of burnout if you only put all of your 
effort and all everything into that into SLP it you need you need to have more balance outside of that um so I I feel I just think balance is really important and then also just like thinking big picture it's kind of like you you're kind of just taking a step back and thinking like like I feel like we've all heard, seen those memes where it's like we're just a little human on this big ball that's spinning around in the universe. It's kind of just taking a step back and it's thinking like if you made a small mistake in your placement, it's like this is just one mistake in one placement in one program that I'm not even going to remember in a few years. So really, just kind of having that big picture mentality where it's like, oh, I didn't do, I didn't get a good mark in this assignment. That's okay. It's one assignment in one program it's fine. So just always trying to remind yourself of the big picture. Like you will be working as an SLP in a matter of years and it, what matters and what doesn't matter. And I think what doesn't matter is it probably doesn't matter that you need to get a really high mark or an A plus on every assignment. But what might matter more is having a good rapport with your classmates and your, maybe your clinical educators, and just having, making those relationships and focusing on those types of things and just really focusing on the things that matter more in the long run. And I think that that's also just something that can really like calm you because if you are someone who feels anxious with those, all those little things, then just having that big, big, big picture mentality can be huge. Um, and then just with that, I feel like just being gentle with yourself not being hard on yourself. Your self-talk is everything. If you had a bad day, you really need to think about how you're talking to yourself because oftentimes you'll think that it was such a bad day or you're, maybe you'll start thinking, my clinical educator probably thinks this. It's like, you don't know what your clinical educator thinks. And really all of this is your own self-talk. So just being gentle with yourself and trying to just be kind to yourself and really just focusing on self-care those would be my general tips that I, that I've learned and they work for me. No, I think that's fantastic because we didn't get our, um, and I don't know, I, I've heard a lot of programs are like this. I don't know. I don't know how it's been for you, but we didn't get like our counseling course where we were told all these things until like the very end of our grad program because, you know, they wanted to make sure going into our first year that we've, you know, had ways of um, balancing our lives and, and avoiding burnout. But it would have been so much better. I remember talking to my cohort about this. Like, we were like, why didn't we have this two years ago when, you know, we were starting the program and should have been keeping those things in mind? So I think that having that um, from you for anybody that's just starting or even in the middle of it, um, those are great things to keep in mind because. Uh, we we all need that in life because life can move so fast and there can be a lot of little things that don't go the way we expected. And so just thinking big picture, being gentle with ourselves when we make mistakes is such such good um, input. Um, okay. So things have changed for you. <laughs> and we kind of talked about that in the in the beginning a little bit. So and I and the reason I want to talk about this um, last point here while we, while we close out the conversation is because I can't, I was thinking about this in March when my school got shut down um, due to COVID. And I was like, what about the grad students? You know, I actually had a, um, a, 
SLIPA intern, she was getting her SLIPA, her assistant hours done. Um, I always forget, over, pretty much in California, we're the only ones that call a speech language pathology assistant a SLIPA. So I have to make sure I say what I'm talking about. But um, she, you know, was in, she was applying for grad school, but I, then it made me think, oh my gosh, what about the people that are ending their grad program right now, like you? And um, I wanted to ask you, you know, what, what kind of changed for you with your placements and what, what are you feeling kind of going into the next step and looking for jobs? Um, and if, are you finding any resources for that? Okay. So <laughs> this is, this was COVID just changed everything basically for our program. Um, so the shutdowns in Canada, at least, um, happened mid-March. That's when all the universities shut down. Um, and so basically our final uh, exams and everything and our assignments, we only had, I think, two, maybe two to three more weeks of classes. So we had the rest of our classes online. We had our exams online. We had a lot of assignments and things switched or canceled or, and that was all okay. But what we were all really worried about was our final clinical placement. We were so worried because it was supposed to be um, like around two and a half months and we all had our placement set up. We had already spoken to our clinical supervisors. Everything was good to go. I was supposed to be in Toronto um, at a school district. And so I was so excited about that. And we all had, we, um, we just found out that, and, and the other thing with a lot of, if anyone's listening who either hasn't started your placements, your last placement is big because that's when you, you, it's kind of like tying everything together. It's like all your knowledge and you're so excited. This is your last placement. You have so much independence. You, um, with my school, at least I, I think probably a lot of the other schools are similar where it's kind of like you really are taking on almost the entire caseload and it's just a really good experience while you still are not an SLP. So you still have so much support from your clinical supervisor. So it's, it's really, it's a really big deal. <laughs> and ours was canceled, um, completely canceled. We were so upset. And basically we just, we were told that it's canceled and we don't know anything, which fair enough, no one knew anything. So we were like, okay. And we found this out. Um, I think probably the first week of April, we found out that it was completely canceled. And then, so now it's June and we just found out <laughs> one week ago, so we didn't know anything until one week ago, um, that our final placement for our program at least, I don't know about other programs, but our program is just doing 20 hours max online in a module. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we're like 20 hours, it's not comparable to two and a half months. <laughs> um, no. yeah, so that was, that was hard. We, people are feeling very anxious because a lot of people had various clinical experiences. Some people didn't get a placement in the area that they wanted yet. Luckily I had placements with the population that I want to work with, but some people who want to do acute care, they didn't even get an acute care placement. Yeah. So that's hard. And, um, we don't know a lot about what our module will look like or anything. Um, we just know that we'll probably be done around the beginning of July. And yeah, I don't know. Basically that's the update. Um, 
yeah, it's ever changing for all of us, I guess, right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's pretty stressful. And then basically after that, we just have to, since we have no CF here, I guess we'll just be starting to look for jobs Yeah. <laughs> without our last basement. Yeah. Have you, you know, looked into that yet? Or are you kind of just taking this step by step? So I have been looking into it. Um, I, it's funny. Like I, it's, yeah, it's been weird because I just started like beginning to write cover letters and all of, and just doing all of these types of things um, to get ready to look for a job. And that's been interesting. I, it's, it's like obviously a very stressful experience, but it's kind of just like something we all have to go through, you know, job searching isn't fun necessarily, but yeah. Um, I just feel like overall, and I, I'm assuming this is how a lot of people feel because all of our plans were canceled and everything is like COVID has taught me to live in the present moment. Yeah. <laughs> like, cause you, it's like, I don't know. We don't know really what anything's going to look like. Right. Um, so yeah, I've just been trying to like stay in the present moment, <laughs> focus on one thing at a time, not like worry too far into the future, but yeah, yeah. Oh, I think that's, that's probably a really great way to end this because it's that that's life. And that's, you know, if you think about it on a smaller scale in our field or like this, where something big happens that changes everything, it's like, you just have to kind of stop, be present, trust that, you know, it's, it's going to work out. We're going to get new information that's going to help us learn how to navigate this. Um, you know, so I applaud you for, for doing that and, and just kind of taking a step to just be present and, and you've got a lot of great things going too. So Shannon has a podcast, which, um, like she said, I got to be on and that was a lot of fun. Um, and so, yeah, that'll, that'll be a fun thing for you to keep doing too. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to have like an outlet that you can kind of just something that makes you happy that you can just focus on. Yeah, It's nice to just have that kind of creative space. Yeah. Well, uh, I think that's it for this, this awesome conversation. And I hope, I know I've, again, like I've said multiple times now, I've learned a lot about how to apply some of your tips in life. Um, and so I know that, uh, there will be a lot of learning done. This was really great and informative. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me on. All right. Thank you so much for listening, friends. This was definitely a fun episode. I'm so excited to take some of Shannon's life hacks, if you will, and use them to keep myself productive and balanced. And I hope for all of you future graduate students, grad students, or post-grads can find the same benefit and value from all the things we talked about today. If you want to hear more from Shannon, which I really encourage you go uh, look her up on Instagram. She's at SLP Corner and then her website is slpcorner.com, but don't worry, those are in the podcast notes. Also, be sure to find her podcast, SLP Corner. She's got some really great interviews done and there's just so much good information throughout all of her episodes. So I really encourage you to go find her and Shannon, thank you so much for joining me. Also, friends, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. I really appreciate your feedback. And if you want to give me more feedback, go find me over at thanksmorris.com, where you can actually submit yourself to be nominated or nominate a friend to be on the podcast, or even just send me a request 
question or suggestion for what you'd like to hear next. All right, friends, I hope you have a beautiful day, night, wherever you are. I hope you're enjoying the magic in the day. All right, I'm signing off this one. See you next time or talk to you next time. Bye-bye.